We're going to continue our worship as we look into God's holy and true word. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm chapter 8. If you're going to use one of the Bibles that we have underneath the chair in front of you, it's on page 535. Well, let's look at God's word. If you are ready, we'll read from Psalm chapter 8, and then we'll talk about it. This is God's holy and true word. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him ruler Over the works of your hands, you put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come now to look into the word through which you have revealed yourself. Uh, We pray that we would see the one in whom you've revealed yourself most clearly and graciously, that being your son, our Lord and King Jesus Christ. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would see in these words the power and the beauty that you have and that you are. We pray that we would see our desperate need for Christ and His compassion and mercy upon us. We pray that You would use this time to transform us into His likeness and equip us to run with the gospel in word and deed to our neighbors and to the nations. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray and for His sake. Amen. Um, You're not supposed to have favorites, but Psalm 8 is phenomenal and it's wonderful and it's powerful and it is such a, uh, a beautiful picture of uh, God declaring who He is and then declaring who we are and uh, it does something magnificent within us when we hear what He is saying about Himself and about us. You know, there's um, so much talk about self-esteem and how we see ourselves. And uh, I recently heard a pastor say something that is right on the money. He said, the issue with self-esteem is it's not a psychological issue, it's a theological issue. Because the reality is how you view yourself is most influenced by what you believe about God and what you believe about mankind. And in this psalm, we see this powerful and beautiful picture of who God is and who He has declared uh, man to be. And uh, just to add uh, some fuel to the fire, uh, uh, this self-esteem thing is, is a very big topic. It's on talk shows, magazines. In fact, I... Uh, I went on to the website of one of the world's largest uh, online retailers that mostly sells books, and I typed into the search bar, self-esteem. And you know what came back? 105,000 hits. Now, knowing that this online retailer sells more than books, I thought, well, maybe some of those are self-esteem 
items? I don't know what else it would be, but I, I wanted to say, what, well, how many books are there in specific? And so I looked, there were some filters on the side that you could enable, and, and one said hardcover. And I said, oh, well, if I click on hardcover, then I know that everything that shows up will be a book for sure. And so uh, I clicked on that. 27,000. There are 27,000 and even more, because this is just hardcover, uh, 20, more than 27,000 books in the English language about self-esteem. And what that tells you and what that tells me is what you and I already know. We are desperate to feel good about ourselves, to feel significant, to feel valued, to feel like we matter, to feel important. Um, we do things. We tend to do things in order to feel valuable, in order to feel significant. Sometimes we don't even realize that we're doing those things for that purpose. I heard a story about a little boy um, who was in elementary school, and he developed this habit of, in the middle of class, getting up and running out the door and running down the hall. And the first time it happened, the teacher kind of watched this take place and then chased him down the hall and caught up with him and brought him back. It happened again the next day uh, and then the next day. And after it had happened a few days in a row, the teacher quite tired, uh, realized that she'd probably better call his parents and see if they can do something about this. So she called the parents and the parents said, "Um, well, he's actually been doing the same thing here. He's been running out of our house and down the street and we're tired too and we don't know what to do. And so they uh, called in a specialist who met with the parents and with the child and with the teacher. And the specialist said uh, to the parents and to the teacher, he said, next time he runs, don't follow him. And as interesting as that sounded, they agreed. And so the very next day, this boy, sitting in class, they're studying something, and he puts down his pencil and he runs out the door. And the teacher just doesn't move. And sure enough, about two or three minutes later, he kind of waddles back in, sat down, picked up his pencil, and never did it again. And what the therapist was saying is he was not running to run. He was running to be chased. He was running for attention. He wanted to know that somebody valued him or would want him back. And that's what we are like him. There's so many things in our lives that we tend to do just so that we will feel valuable. Maybe we're trying to accomplish something or maybe we're trying to win the love of a certain person or maybe we're trying to gather a certain amount of money or things. There's so many things. So many of our pursuits are really a search for significance, a search for feeling valued. And I've got good news for you and me. And that is this. The gospel fact for today is that faith in Christ is the source of inestimable value and significance for all who believe. It's Christ himself. It's our faith in Christ that is the source of our inestimable value and significance. In other words, let me put it to you this way. The search for significance ends at the cross. And that's what we're going to see today as we look at Psalm 8. We're going to uh, do three things if you're making an outline. Here's the three things we're going to talk about today. I want to talk about God and creation and then man and the world and finally Christ and the cross. God and creation, man and the world, Christ and the cross. I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open or reopen them if you shut them because we walk right through the text here and it would be helpful for you to be looking at it as we do that. So let's jump in, look at verses 1 through 4 and look at uh, God and and His creation, uh, looking at the fact that He tells us uh, some profoundly important things about Himself in these verses. Uh, It is just amazing. And and seeing these things about Him and then what He says about us is transformative. So let's do that. Look at verse 1. David, who wrote the psalm, says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
You have set your glory above the heavens. It's interesting what he does here. He starts out by saying, your name is majestic in all the earth. And it's almost like he's saying, well, of course it is. Of course your name is majestic and and splendid and wonderful and beautiful and powerful in all the earth because you've set your glory way above the heavens. You've set your glory to the extent of your creation and beyond. Your glory never ends. The first thing that God tells us about himself here is that he is infinitely glorious. We need to know that about God. He is infinitely glorious. And so he tells us that here this morning in this very first verse. Now, David, uh, you know, King David was a shepherd before he uh, became king. And so you can imagine that David spent plenty of nights out in the wilderness, way far away from uh, any city lights or uh, civilization lights that would damper his view to see the heavens, see the stars. And if any of you have ever been way out in the country, you know, where there's no city nearby, and then looked up, it is phenomenal. If you haven't experienced that, you need to. Just start driving. And then when there's no lights around you sometime tonight, get out of the car, turn your car off, your lights, and just look. I, uh, my dad very graciously pays uh, sometimes for me to go up and fishing with him in Canada. And we get to fly about 80 miles north of any other human beings. And when I walk out onto the dock at night and look up, it's, it almost makes you weep. Because you can tell that it just goes and goes and goes. You don't need a telescope to know that. That's what David is referring to here. He's saying everything we could possibly see, your glory fills it. You're so amazing, so wonderful, so beautiful, so powerful, so majestic that of course your name is majestic in this little tiny earth that we exist on. So that's number one that we need to know. God telling us this morning, he is infinitely glorious. Look at verse 2. Verse 2, he says, From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Second thing God is saying to you and me this morning about himself is that he is totally sovereign. He's totally in control of all things. So he's not, not only does his glory fill and go beyond all of his creation, but uh, he, he is totally sovereign. He's in control of all things. There's nothing outside of his control. He has a plan that he is carrying out. He has ordained all things that are happening and it's going to glorify him and is glorifying him. That's something that we need to know. He is sovereign. How does David do this? How does David show us his sovereignty? It's in saying that an infant, even an infant, could praise God. Because we know what infants know, right? I'm tired, I need a new diaper, or I've got to eat something right now. That's all, that's all that's going on in there, you know? But what he's saying, what David is saying is, no, God has the power to even cause infants to praise his name. And we know that David tells us in Psalm 22 that he believed in God from his mother's womb. And we also know that John the Baptist uh, believed in Christ when he was in his mother's womb. In uh, the book of Luke, we see a scene where Mary, pregnant with Jesus, comes into a room where Elizabeth, pregnant with John, is. And John starts dancing in the womb. He's leaping for joy because he knows he's in the presence of his Savior. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, you're going to say that you baptize babies because you think they believe. No. Uh, That's not why we baptize babies. We baptize babies because we believe they're part of the covenant community and members of our church. Uh, That's not where I'm headed with this. What I'm trying to show you is we have a God, we believe in a God who's in control of all things. So much so that He could cause even infants who have no intellectual ability to praise His name. That's who we worship. 
That's the God that we have. And I'll tell you what, uh, when we know and see that God has revealed to us in His Word that He is sovereign, that He is in control, when our lives are spinning out of control, there, He is the rock that we rest upon because we know that nothing is outside of His control. Nothing is outside of the things that He has planned to glorify Himself and to show us uh, how glorious He truly is. So not only is He showing us here, He's saying to us, He's telling us through His Word that He's infinitely glorious, but also He's totally sovereign. Uh, Third, look at verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. So right before we continue into verse 4, stopping and seeing David is telling us, and therefore God is saying to us, that He is the Creator. God made all this. You've never looked at anything in nature, not the Grand Canyon, not a sunset, nothing that has made you say, wow, that's amazing, and and not seen something that God has created. God is the artist. God is the Creator of all things. He is the one who's done all this and is doing all this. He's the Creator and Sustainer of all things. And therefore... He gets to decide the purpose of everything. If you make something, you are the one who decides what it's used for. And He is the Creator. And it's so critical that we know that so that we know when He tells us the purpose for which He's made us that we believe Him. And so what we're seeing so far is we've got a God. We believe in a God. He's saying to us this morning that He is infinitely glorious, that He is totally sovereign, that He is the creator and sustainer of all things. And if you think about that, if we stop and ponder that for a moment, if we think about the fact that we know, uh, because now we do have telescopes and scientific instruments that help us see way far away and we're sending things to Mars and all that good stuff. We know how huge the cosmos is. We know how immense the universe is. And so if we think about that, that His glory fills beyond anything we could possibly see, and we know that He's in control of all these things, and He created all this stuff, there's only one question that should come into our mind, and it is exactly what David asks in verse 4. Look at that. What is man? That you are mindful of Him, the Son of Man, that you care for Him. I mean, think about that. Why in the world would God know anything about humanity, anything about any of us as individuals, when He has created this vast universe and we are just a tiny little speck in the ocean of His creation? But look what He says. You are mindful of Him. You care for Him. And that right there is really key. God is mindful He thinks about us. He thinks about you. You. Not just us, but you. In the book of Matthew, we hear uh, that uh, God knows how many hairs are on all of our head. In uh, Jeremiah 1, he told Jeremiah, before you were uh, formed in the womb, I knew you. And uh, in Zephaniah 3, it tells us that God rejoices over us with singing. That means the infinitely glorious... Totally sovereign, creator and sustainer of all things, thinks about you. You know, uh, it's always kind of hurts a little if if you talk to somebody that probably ought to know your name and they don't. And they're like, hey, you, it's good to see you again. You know, and you're kind of like, yeah, my name's Matt. 
Um, and you know that. And, and what happens in that? What's happening there is you you don't feel as significant. You don't feel as as you matter to that person. And look at what the Creator and Sustainer of all things is telling you and me. He knows your name. He knows your name. Okay, so if we have this vision that God is giving us of this infinitely glorious, totally sovereign creator and sustainer of all things, and we wonder why does he possibly think of us? Why does he possibly know who we are? Uh, he tells us, look at, let's talk about man and the world in verses 5 through 8. Uh, what we need to see here is that God is, is telling us something about us now that should transform us. And as we return to it and believe it and repent for not believing it, it should continue. It will continue to transform us. Here it is. All human beings are made in the image of God for the purpose of representing and reflecting His glory in the world. Let me say that again. This is massive for our understanding of who we are. We are made in the image of God for the purpose of representing and reflecting His glory in the world. Look at verse 5. You have made Him, this is mankind, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned Him with glory and honor. So right off the bat, we know we're not divine. We're not God. Some of us think we might be or we could be. Uh, you're not, and I'm not, we're not. Clear distinction. We are beneath God, creator, creation. There's a major distinction there. Yet, He has crowned us with honor and glory. Continuing on, look at 6. You have made Him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under His feet, all the flocks and herds, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. What he's saying here is that the purpose for which he created, created us is to rule, to rule over creation. And uh, it's also showing that we're above animals. We're not animals. We're not animals. We are human beings created in the image of God. That's this language that he's using is very similar to what it says in Genesis 1 where it says, let us make man in our image. This is absolutely huge for us to believe, to be able to value ourselves and to see our significance, that God has made us beneath Him. We are not divine, but we are so far above what an animal is that we're far closer to being divinity. That's why it says we're a little lower than the heavenly beings. To emphasize that we are way above animals. So the amazing thing here is the the, the uh, infinitely glorious, totally sovereign Creator and Sustainer of all things has created us for this purpose of of representing Him here on earth and reflecting His glory, basically by ruling over earth here the way that He rules over everything everywhere. We're supposed to be the little image of Him, the microcosm. Our rule over things on the planet is supposed to be a picture of His rule over everything in the entire universe. Which gives us such incredible, incredible dignity. Everyone is made in the image of God. And think about this. There's 7 billion people on this planet. And I know that identical twins look really alike, but no, none of them are actually totally identical. Okay? And this is what this tells us. 
How glorious is God? Well, it takes at least 7 billion people to begin to show us the vast beauty and majesty of who He is. 7 billion different faces and heights and shapes and all sorts of things. 7 billion different images of this incredibly glorious God. And you know what that means? What that means for us is that every single one of us as an image of God is therefore beautiful beyond our understanding. And listen to me, everyone, but particularly girls and young girls, you are so much more beautiful than the culture wants you to believe or will allow you to believe. Don't you dare let the culture tell you what beauty is. God has made you in His image and that gives you more beauty than you could ever imagine. I've spent too much time with teenage girls to know how ripped apart they are by the culture's view of beauty. Sorry for the rant. God has made you to represent and reflect Him, the infinitely glorious, totally sovereign creator and sustainer of all things. And if that doesn't make you feel good, nothing. Men, us too. We worry about our looks too, but we're all ugly, so it doesn't matter. No, that's... (laughs) That's a bad joke, and let me tell you why. To say that anyone is ugly is to suggest that God is too. And I'm talking about yourself, too. You think for a minute, I'm ugly. You better attach to it, and I guess God is too. And you can't, can you? No, because when we think about God... What flows out of our mouth is what flowed out of David's mouth. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I was um, hanging out with uh, a guy named Michael. He's here this weekend with his wife Miriam, and he's a candidate for a pastoral position that we're looking to hire. And he asked me what I was excited to talk about this week, and that's what I told him. Um, And so he he reminded me of uh, 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul talks about God uh, composing the body of Christ and even even, uh, giving more honor to the the parts that we feel are not as honorable. Uh, Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 12, 24 through 26. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked, uh, that there uh, may be no division in the body, but that the members may all have uh, the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And he, he said that he loves to see and think about God as the composer, you know, because that makes us the instruments that create the symphony, doesn't it? And, and you know and I know that a, a symphony played by all violins eh, might be okay, a little high-pitched. But think about all the different instruments that come to play and to hear this beautiful music. And it's all of our seven billion faces and shapes and colors and backgrounds and ethnicities that begin to uh, let us hear the sweet music of the beauty and majesty of the creator and sustainer of all things. Amen? So application. Uh, every human being is of inestimable value and significance and also must be treated as such. Uh, Images of God should not go hungry. Images of God should not be homeless. This is why uh, we have been talking, we will continue to talk about the critical nature of us as a church growing in word and deed, growing in our ability to minister to each other and to our city and to the world in word and deed, proclaiming that Christ is Lord with our words and demonstrating that Christ is Lord with our deeds. And it's that demonstration part, feeding people who are hungry, housing people who are homeless, 
the one of the primary reasons we're doing that is because when we do that to a person, we do that to and for an image of God and therefore to him himself. I'm sure you're familiar with Matthew 25 where Jesus says in verse 40, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it unto one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to who? To me. Um, so we see God is lovingly just saying you're so beautiful because I made you just like you are so that you would reflect a certain unique aspect of my glory. And he's saying that all of us, all human beings, have that dignity and that honor. And, uh, and then he's also showing us that he's the, the totally glorious, the totally sovereign and, and total creator of all things. So he gets to decide what's what, right? Well, here's the problem. Uh, doesn't feel so. Doesn't feel that's, that's the way it is, does it? We tend to feel ugly inside and out. We tend to feel like there's no way God really thinks about me or loves me. We tend to struggle with that. Why? Because of our sin. It is our sin that prevents us from feeling our inestimable value. It's the fact that we're sinners and the guilt that we feel and uh, the struggle that we have as we continue in sin. Well, here's the thing. If we want to believe God, if we want to believe that we are as valuable and important and beautiful and significant as we truly are, then we have to look at our lives in the world through the lens of the cross. So, so we've talked about God and creation. We've talked about man and the world. Let's uh, talk lastly about Christ and the cross. And what we're going to do here is here, I'm going I'm to read to you from Hebrews 2. You can flip there now if you want. Hebrews 2, it's on page 1,185 if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide. But uh, I'm going to read Hebrews 2, uh, 5 through 9 and 17 through 18. And reason being is the author of Hebrews interprets Psalm 8. Uh, And I want to show you that. But first, let me say this. Okay, as we talk about Christ and the cross, on the cross, Christ took our sin and gave us the glory and honor that he deserved. The greatest exchange ever. And therefore, in Christ, we are restored images of God legally and experientially. And what I want to what I'm saying, what I mean by that is legally, all of our sin has been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross if we believe. And then experientially is once we believe in our justification like we talked about all through the series on Galatians. If we believe that, then we get to experience more and more of the reality that we are being restored even in the way that we live into being an image of God and living and acting as he has called us to. And that uh, just continues to add to our significance and our value in the world. Let me read this to you. Hebrews 2, uh, 5 through 9 and then 17 and 18. It is... Not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of him? A son of man that you care for him. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. And what he's just done is quoted Psalm 8. Uh, Here he continues. In putting everything under him, God let nothing that is not subject to him, uh, yet at present... Uh, We do not see everything subject to him, but we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels and now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Now moving down to 17. For this reason he had to be made, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service of God, that he might make atonement for our sins, to the sins of the people, uh, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, 
He is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is saying this is about not only humanity, but also specifically about Jesus. Jesus agrees. If you turn to Matthew 21, 15, and 16, you'd see that Jesus quoted Psalm 8 in reference to himself. Uh, Psalm 8 then applied to Jesus means what? It means that Jesus chose to uh, become a human being, something lower than God. He chose to become a human being. He didn't give up any of his divinity, but he became a human being in order that he would suffer and die for us. This is why he was crowned and given glory uh, at the end of his life. Here we see, look at verse uh, uh, 9. Jesus was crowned with glory and honor for suffering and dying. He was dying and suffering on the cross on account of our sin to remove it from our records, okay? And then, continuing on, uh, He also atoned, he atoned for our sin, verse 17. And now, verse 18, Jesus helps us fight temptation. And in reality, every temptation we ever have to sin is really a temptation to be less than we are, which is images of the infinitely glorious, totally sovereign, creator and sustainer of all things. And so he not only has removed our sin and provided for our forgiveness and clothed us in his righteousness, but he also fights with us and through us and for us against our temptation to be less than we are, to be less than images of God. How gracious he is. How gracious he is. So here's the final thoughts on this. There is no self-help book. There is no self-esteem book. There is no self-improvement seminar that you can go to that will actually accomplish what you want it to. Because it's not a psychological issue, is it? It's a theological issue. And when you see that Christ died and rose again to give you the honor and glory we had in the beginning as undamaged images of God, to remove what has damaged us as images by taking it away on the cross is the most glorious thing that we could possibly imagine and, and gracious thing he could, we could possibly imagine Him doing for us. It's... it's even more shocking than this beautiful picture of service this morning when we see Lynn standing up here ready to have her body opened up and part of her removed and placed into a young man who needs it so desperately. That in and of itself is so shocking that people can't help but to talk about it. And what Christ has done is even more glorious than that. And Lynn would be the first person to tell you that that's the case. The search for significance ends at the cross. The search for significance ends at the cross. Um, and the number one thing we should be thinking about as forgiven and free children of God today is that God is thinking about us. Remember that. He's mindful of us. He's thinking about us all the time. And as you pray this week, as you pray and ask God to continue to reveal Himself to you and, and show you how valuable and how significant you are, when you pray, when you start that prayer, I want you to realize He was there waiting for you, thinking about you. I call my parents every week because I'm a good son. And uh, I, uh, it's every once in a while when I call my parents, my dad says, Matthew, I was just thinking about you. And I love that. Child of God, every time you open your mouth to pray to your Father in heaven, He says, you know what? I was just thinking about you. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for 
listening to the failed wisdom of the world on so many things, on who you are and who we are. You've given us the most honor and glory and dignity we could ever imagine by creating us as human beings, as your image, and then you have... uh, We lost it. We lost uh, some of that, a lot of that, because of our sin, but you've restored it in Christ. And so we give him praise and glory and honor, and we ask that you would help us to believe this more and more, and that it would cause us to see ourselves and every human being as ultimately dignified and honorable, and let us serve people in Jesus' name because of the way he has served us on the cross. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.